Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It's Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And hear the word of God. Seeing the people, he, that is Jesus, felt compassion for them. Because they were, oh, that's sorry, that's verse 36, 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we seek by your grace to position ourselves under the authority of your word. We do not come as critics, but may we come as followers, as disciples, as learners, as adorers as obedient children. But we know, God, that our hearts are often prone to wander. And we pray that in this moment you would secure our hearts, soften them by your Spirit's touch, and prepare us for the word you have for us. We ask, O oh God, that you would open our ears and give us sight where we have been blind. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, today, would you speak? God, our king above all, speak. Jesus, our Savior, speak. Holy Spirit, our ever-present comforter, speak. Let your children be listening. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I am not a physicist. Uh, I, that was one of the classes I dropped out of. I think maybe multiple times, once in high school and then once in college. When I went to college, it was before I knew the Lord was going to make me do this, which is exactly, it's, a, it's like I can't do anything else. Um, I thought I was going to be a meteorologist. Can't you imagine? Sure. Now what's happening in your neck of the woods? You know, I could totally do it. Um, and so I thought I was going to be a meteorologist and then I went to school and I met with my advisor that they gave me at PC, and he was in the physics department. I'm like, why am I here? And then I learned, like, real meteorology, not just, like, the pointing at the map stuff, involves a lot of, like, math and physics, and, uh, and that, that did not last long. So I'm not a physicist, but I'm going to throw a physics term at you. So if you are a scientist, you are a physicist, just be kind, okay? We all have our expertises. Expertises? Anyway. Um, inertia. Inertia is the idea that the property of something that uh, comes to a stop is going to stay stopped until it is moved. Right? A rock that is cast 
into a field is going to remain there until an external force moves the rock. Whether there's a flash flood or um, something eventually over a long period of time weathers it down, it's going to stay there. It is inert. It's not going to move. Now, I know, so that's my, there's your physics, right? You can go get an A on your test now, kids, but you all left, so you don't get an A. Um, there is a propensity for inertia, and there's a danger in inertia for people and for churches. I don't know if you know this, um, but a, I don't have statistics. So, but a, a large number of Baptist churches are formed not because of someone going out and planting a church and you know, sharing the gospel and making disciples and, and seeing God bless it and growing it, that God grows this church. Usually, I heard the, the term this week um, that it's, it's uh, splanting. Splanting. A church splits and then it goes plants another church. And usually, the other church is named Unity Baptist Church. Or, and this is no knock to our brothers and sisters up the road because it's not their story, but Harmony Baptist Church or Concord, but we have, we have those around here. Not, no shade thrown on them. I don't know how they formed. But uh, I know our beginnings. That this church was not formed. It doesn't make us any better or worse. It just is. We were not formed by a splant We were not formed because group A got mad at group B and then group C got tired of everybody and they split from another church and came here. That's true of a lot of Baptist churches. But the first pastor of this church, his name was J.P. Eisenhower, I think it was. Uh, But his term, his title was missionary. Before he was ever called pastor... He was called missionary. Y'all go look it up. We got it written somewhere in here. Um, I think I cut out the wrong wrong name, Um, but he was called missionary. There was a, a group of churches in what used to be called the Fairfield Baptist Association. And they got together and they said, there's a growing community in Blaney. Before this is before the town was, it was just a depot spot. The train stopped here. So the town wasn't incorporated. It wasn't, it was just this people were gathering around a train depot. And somebody said, they need a church there. Now, we're not the first, you know, unions older than us, harmonies older than us, but they're out, you know, that was out in the, the, the sticks back in the day. It feels like five minutes down the road, which it is. But back then, they needed a church in the middle of the growing community. And so they commissioned and sent a missionary to go and plant a church. That's our roots, our beginning. But like I said, the the church officially came to be where people covenanted together, agreed together uh, in 1905 was the beginning year of this church. I think he was commissioned like 1903, something like that. But this church began because of a missionary burden, a burden to see the gospel of Jesus Christ brought to bear in a community where it was growing with people, but there was no light of gospel witness immediately in their midst. Our identity began as a missionary people to bring the light of Christ to a people and to a place. 
But there is a danger in inertia. And if you're wondering, you can already feel it. We're two weeks into the new year, and you had all of these grand designs of what you were going to be. What you were going to do this year, right? Maybe. Maybe some of you are like, not even going to try. Some of you were like, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose 20 pounds by the 20th. Some ridiculous goals. Stop it. Um, or you were, you were going to make a habit out of this. You were going to be, be more diligent about this. You were going to, you know, whatever. You're going to say, which you, I don't know. You're going to kiss your wife every day, which guys already do that. Just do it, you know. Um, should, anyway. Uh, you were going to go run every day. You were going to go be kind to someone. Whatever, whatever resolutions you might have had or goals you might have set for yourself. But you feel the power of inertia right now. For us, it's called habit. But we're drawn back. There's a magnetism into this is where I am. The rut is a rut because you've been there a lot. Right? Or the rut is a rut because you go down that way a lot. And there should be, there should, not all ruts are bad. Meaning that not all habits are bad. You, there should be some, some parts of your life that are just programmed. The coffee maker goes off, coffee makes coffee. I pull it out and I drink my coffee. But when I drink my coffee in the morning, I open up God's Word and I'm opening God's Word. I'm listening to God and I'm praying to God. No, that's not me. That's just the, that's the rut I live in early in the morning. All glory to God. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. But that's the rut I live in because I've done that over and over and over and over and over again. You need to build those ruts in your life. But sometimes, for a multitude of reasons, we fall into all sorts of other ruts. And the danger is with a church that's our age. I could say this, right? You can act your age. Right? A church our age. What we're, uh, we'll be 100 and, what's the number? 18 this year? 118 years old. It's easy, one, to know that wherever we've been, it's easy to stay where we've been. Whatever we've done, it's easy to continue to do what we've always done. And, it, and, it, and the, then the issue is, is that not only is that true for an institution like a local church, but it's true for the members of the local church. Even if you're, you're a recent, you know, recently came to Jesus or you recently joined this church, but you were part of another church that had different ruts and you want to bring your ruts into this church. And then we have our ruts and then all of a sudden we're a bunch of rutted out conflicting people. All of our ruts have just turned into a big swamp. There's a danger in spiritual inertia. And the thing you need to know about this world is that not only is our heart prone to wander, our heart is prone to spiritual inertia. And more specifically to where we're going to be this morning, our lives together as a church and as individuals, we are prone toward missional inertia. You look at the current status of American Christianity and you cannot say I'm wrong. I heard a stat this week that three out of every four South Carolinians, I'm not talking about 
whatever you call people in Oregon, Washagonian, Oregonians, I don't know what they are up there. Now, I'm not talking about the Northwest or the Northeast or some big city. I'm talking about South Carolina. Three out of four South Carolinians are not connected to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. Three out of four. So just consider that the next time you go to Food Lion and you're standing in line, which doesn't always happen, but when it happens, it happens, right? Y'all know if you've been there. Sometimes you just like, whoop it, in and out. The other, next time you go, you're there. And you get to study and you read all of the headlines of all the magazines and you read all of the, the candy wrappers of every candy bar there. And, and you're tempted by every, anyways, every, every soda that's there. Uh, <clears throat> that you think, Three out of the, these, every four of these people is disconnected from Jesus' church. I'm not saying that that makes them lost. I'm not, saying, I'm, not, I'm not making any other spiritual evaluation other than three out of four people in South Carolina, on average, are disconnected from the local church. And I would say my time in Elgin hasn't disproved that. I haven't gone door to door and knocked on every door in Elgin. Uh, but looking around, that, that looks to be about right. And yet here in Elgin... We have, what, you have Blaney, you have Hillcrest, you have Harmony, you have Union, you have Spears Creek, you have Green Hill, you have Fort Clark. Then you, that's just the Baptist churches. What is that, seven? I don't even know if I said everybody. Six, seven Baptist churches. Southern Baptist churches. And then you've you got a Methodist church and you've got interdenominational, like non-denominational churches. You got Church of God churches. You got, you got this church and that church and this church and that church. We are prone to missional inertia. Meaning that we're going to live in our rut and as long as my rut works, I'm not going to leave. And I would say that if that were the case, this church would not be here. If that were the case for those churches at the turn of the 20th century, we would not be here. And the question is, what needs to happen this year, next year, next year, next year, so that a century from now, or two centuries from now, someone might be said, well, missionaries such and such from Blaney Baptist went to this place and they planted a church because there was a need. But if three out of four South Carolinians are disconnected from a biblical church, we should be staring hard at the walls of our rut, wondering what we must do to blow it down. So I came, I came to this text, and I've been here a million times before, maybe not quite a million, I've been here a lot before reading the Bible, and it struck me <clears throat> um, that five, six, seven shifts, so I have, I have some time to get through seven shifts, shift, shift, okay, you got me, shifts, like you're shifting a car. So seven shifts toward or for the harvest. Seven shifts for or toward or to, whatever preposition works for you there, the harvest. The whole chapter nine is Jesus 
uh, is a living illustration of verse 35. Everything coming up to verse 35, Jesus is doing in chapter 9. He's going through the cities and villages, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease and every kind of sickness. You see that. He heals the paralytic. He calls Matthew. He gets questioned about how, uh, fasting. And then he's doing miracles of healing. The, the, the woman with the bleed and then uh, Jairus, who we know as Jairus' daughter, and uh, later on. And so there's a, he's doing all of these things. It's just an illustration, verses 1 through 34. Of, and verse 35 is the summation statement. Right? Jesus was going through. So here is the, the first shift. And there's seven of these. So 10 minutes per shift, 70 minutes we got to go, okay? Nervous laughter. Not really, just five. Still one. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. You remember, there's been several times up until this point of Jesus' ministry where he ends up somewhere, does something big, teaches the crowd, and they're all looking for him. He has the opportunity to gather a big gaggle of people. Consider Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 2. Now, and and he, he does the ministry and he, he removes himself, goes out to somewhere desolate, and the disciples have to go find him and say, hey, everybody's looking for you. Jesus has an opportunity to build his empire in Capernaum, for example. But rather than staying, he's going. Shift number one, staying from staying to going. Now, this is not me telling all of you, you have to go, right? Maxine's not here to flip on and off the lights to tell you to go, right? That's not what I'm saying. She's not in here. Is she? No. Okay. I'd hear about it, I think. Uh, From staying to going. But there there needs to be a mental shift. Right? Of what you're doing right now. That you're coming here and then you are being commissioned back into the world. You must be a going people. Not just like you're randomly wandering, but you're going with the intention of following Jesus where you live, work, and play. You're going on mission. You're going on purpose. You're you're going with intention. So when you say, I'm going to church, what you mean right now is you're coming to Sunday morning service. Praise God. Welcome. Glad you're here. Where we do this every Sunday by God's grace. But you also need to have it in your brain that as you leave here, you're going on God's mission. You're going. This is the beginning of the Great Commission. Right? Anybody? Do you guys remember that part? Go. Now, we know like some people want to be like, well, that's a. That's a participle in the Greek. And it's a, as you're going, whatever, you're still going. You know, you're, they're still attached to the command to make disciples. It is necessary that you do so as you go. And in fact, the, the Greek construction really it, it, it brings the imperative into, into the participle. If you're tracking this right now, if you're not, just take a time out. I'll be right back. But uh, that you're going, there's still an imperatible force to the go. Another way of saying this is that you're no longer seeking yourself. You're seeking Jesus and his kingdom. And you believe that God's a great king over all, all, everywhere, over all the earth. And so he's the king of your house. He's the king of your work. He's the king of your marriage. He's the king of your family. He's the king of your grandkids, your great nieces and uncles, whatever else you've got. You all have cousins everywhere. Don't look. That's right. 
I'm looking at, I was looking at doors, but y'all 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 got cousins everywhere. It's like the it's not quite Hatfields and McCoys, but there's like umbrellas like that. We're like Look, Jesus is king over all of that. He's king over Elgin and over South Carolina. And we should be going saying Christ has king rights here. What does it mean for my workplace? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my neighborhood? So staying, I mean going rather than staying. Because the, the, what I'm trying to drive at with this language is that too often we think about this, I've, I've done church this week, I'm going to go do my life now. Right? I'm going to do, and so you end up as this kind of schi- spiritual schizophrenia. And when you live in spiritual schizophrenia, that's no knock to people who actually have schizophrenia, I'm just using the language, but, but you, uh, you end up with this kind of two par- partitioned life. Well, Sundays I go to church, and then that's God's time. I tithe my Sunday, or whatever, whatever language you justify in the back of your head. And then you say, I live Monday through Saturday, and I'm just going to do my life. As long as I come to church on Sunday. And what, I, what I'm trying to say is that you gather to worship. We're doing something important, commanded by God, that is spiritually sustaining for you during this time. But it's meant to spin you out. To spit you back out into God's world for God's mission. So going rather than staying. Number two, Jesus, as he's going, was going throughout the cities and villages. He's traveling through Galilee. Uh, He goes down south some, but mainly up in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. And he's teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Shift number one, staying, I mean going from staying. Shift number two, speaking. Rather than silent. To be God's leaven. If you're a baker, you know what I mean. But to be God's leaven in this world means, one, you need to be a visible witness for Jesus with your life. But it also means you have to be an audible witness with Jesus for Jesus with your words. Jesus went around teaching and proclaiming. Now, I know you're not a teacher. I mean, you're not, a, you're not Jesus. You're not a preacher. You might not be a teacher, but you have the gospel of Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you have the gospel of Christ living in you. You have believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and you have been commissioned into his kingdom for his sake. So you cannot be silent because you are made like the God who has saved you. And he is not silent. Have you considered this? If you're in Hebrews, right? Wednesday nights, we're studying Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke. But in these last days, he spoke to us through his son. God is a God who speaks. And if you will be godly in this world, you must eventually at some point in your life speak. I'm not telling you to go out on the street corner, but you might end up there. Preaching. But at some point you live a life that is so uncharacteristically Christian, like it's so different from the world. Eventually you're going to have that opportunity or you're talking to somebody at the, I don't know if people, we don't have a, we have a water fountain here and we don't really talk around the water cooler, water fountain. We all end up in Blanche's office, just annoying Blanche while she's trying to work. Now, because now I have, it's Trey too. So it's Sage and Trey and me. And we're just like, Maxine will come in. It's just great. And Blanche is just wanting to do her work. Uh, but we all, we, when you gather around something, 
You gather around the football game. You gather around the, the grill. You're grilling food. Great way to gather around something. But you're gathering and people begin talking. There's always an opportunity. There's always an opportunity to bring Christ to bear in that conversation. I'm not saying that you have to be like, now let me get into the Romans road. And I'm, I'm going to ro- go through the whole Romans road. That's, that's better than nothing. But there might be times just to call attention to the God who made you and saved you. Let me tell you uh, an opportunity I missed this week to share the gospel. I, I'm not going to get into it. I had to go to the doctor and they had to do some blood work. And don't freak out. My mom freaked out. Don't freak out. Okay. Um, if Jesus calls me home, I'll glory to God. But I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. Uh, but I had to go get some blood work. And, uh, and I'm sitting there at the, with the phlebotomist, the lady who sticks your arm, the person who sticks your arm. And I have a little squeeze ball, you know, to pump up my vein. It's like a Reebok pump shoe, you know. And I'm just doing this number. And I happen to look down at it. Um, and I see that it says, uh, like, Asheville City Police Department, Asheville Police Department. And I say, that sure came a long way. And this poor lady was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the squeeze ball, you know? It's, and it's all worn and faded, but you can still see Asheville Police Department. I said, it came all the way from North Carolina. And she said, uh, well, you know, we've had that. That probably, that just came to something free. But she's like, I guess it was from North Carolina. It's like, it, 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 she said something like, it bears the mark from where it was made. And it came to my mind. I was like, I want to be like, just like us. And I totally didn't. I totally just was like, because I'd been there for like three hours at that point. I was like, just let me go. You know, but I missed the opportunity. That's full confession. Your pastor, I swing in the miss, and sometimes I forget to swing. Um, You too. But, but we have to speak. There is that thing, you you, you guys have heard it said, this might turn into a two-part sermon, so don't stress. I know we're on, uh, what, number two of seven. So we'll turn, two-part, it's okay. (sighs) Breathe. You know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. What you need to do is write that on a paper and crumble it up in the ball and necessarily throw it in the trash can. Because there's no way of preaching the gospel without words. You should say preach the gospel and it's necessary to use words, but it's also necessary to live a life that's worthy of the gospel. Live a life that backs up your verbal witness. You do worse when you you live like a heathen and you... Speak like a Christian. So you move from staying to going, move from silence to speaking. And just, and if I could just say, I don't know how many people, a hundred, some, some odd people in here. Um, just consider over the next month. I'm not saying like tomorrow, but over the next month, we all of this prayerfully took it to heart. And said, I'm going to quit being silent where God has placed me. And I know some of you have, have constrictions, restrictions at work or whatever else. There's a, there, you have a, an area of life where you could have a word of Christ. And again, I'm not saying that you have to get into like a systematic outline of the whole gospel, but you could bring God to bear. Say, this is my father's world. This is, this is right and good and true and beautiful because of God. Just point to him. And if we all began to do that, 100 people in this room, 100 and change, whatever it is in here, could you imagine in all the different 
little areas, spheres of influence that are represented in all of your lives. Because we all live in multiples of them, right? You live in a home. You live in a neighborhood. You have a close family. You have an extended family. Um, you have a church. We need the gospel too. You have a community. You have uh, your recreation. You have the grocery store. I, th- I keep going back to the grocery store because this is where I live. With four kids, I go home, I come here, and I go to the grocery store, and there's some cycle sort of in there, right? That's all I get to do now, and I dream of things. I look at the, the, the dusty fishing poles in the corner of my garage, and I say, one day I'm going I'm to get out with Jeremy Wood and catch a fish or something. But um, anyways, so, but you, you have, hold on, that's all I'm trying to say. Consider the spheres of influence where you live, where you, where you, where you already are. And then pray that God would so equip you and that he would so compel you by his love to speak a word of Christ in those places. Because Jesus is king of those. He loves you in it. He loves those people in it. And he's king of it. He receives the the honor and the glory of everyone who's in it. All of your family and all of your workplace and all of your community. Jesus is worthy of all their praise and worship. All their glory, all their life. And I'll finish with this one, for the, the third one. So move from staying to going, silence to speaking. And then the move from parts to persons. To move, the move from parts to persons. There is a, a dreadful move when people begin to be treated as widgets. You just get plugged into a, an assembly line. You get plugged into a certain job. You get plugged into a certain place. And you're just exploited for that one thing that you do. And oftentimes when we think about people, we think about them as parts. There's, there's your body. There's your mind. There's your soul. There's your spirit. Whatever. And we compartmentalize ourselves. And God does that too. He says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, but the totality of your being, all that you are, should be oriented toward God. And Jesus in his ministry, he is not treating people as a part of themselves. He was going through the villages. He was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every kind of sickness and every kind of, I mean, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus serves and ministers to whole persons. And whole persons matter. Yes, 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 yes. We, it is necessary for you to hear the gospel, to repent, to believe, to receive, to be born again inwardly, to be a new creation, to move. The old is gone and the new has come. But that does not mean... It does not mean that you ought to be treated only as, only as a spiritual person. This is a little bit of like I'm opening up a can of worms or something. But too often in our missions, in our ministry, we think about people as simply spiritual beings. But we need, and that's true, that is so true, because our rebellion is spiritual. Our problem, our spirit. Our paramount problem is a spiritual rebellion to God. But that affects our lives. It affects our bodies. It affects our relationships and our communities. 
And you're thinking, Jacob, where do you see that? Well, God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, He made them. So us being image bearers is not just a spiritual reality. It is a whole person reality. And you think about the end of the book too. The end, right? God, and whatever your eschatology is, it's, this isn't the point of it, because after, after all of our confusions about whatever millennial or tribulation, all that, everybody agrees at the end of the end of the end. New heavens and a new earth. And what hap- how do we get there? Jesus does not just snatch your spirit up and leave your soul here forever. Leave your body here forever. But those bodies are planted out. I'm pointing to our cemetery if you don't know. They're planted as seeds in the ground. That because Christ rose, we will rise. He didn't rise just as a spiritual being. He rose physically. His tomb is physically empty. And so glory, new heavens and new earth, is a bunch of embodied people. Have you thought about this? Jesus, he takes on the, 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 the second person of the Trinity, eternal God, God of God and light of light, takes on a human nature never, never to slough it off. So Christ today, seated, glorified, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, is in flesh. And we will be in God's presence one day, finally, fully, at the end of the day, at the consummation of, the end, of, of all things, at the restoration of the world as it ought to be, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be whole people. Glorified, without sin, without uh, sickness, without tears, without sorrow, without mourning. This is the power of God, and we ought to minister and be missionaries now as though that is true, because it's true. So that means... And this is all elaborate, like, defense of what we're trying to already doing as a church. That means that we should be, you know, this is Matthew 25, right? We should be clothing people that need clothing. That we should be feeding people who are hungry. That we should be serving the the weary and the broken and the worn out. So that, well, one, because they're people made in the image of God. However they got there. We don't want to minister to people as parts. As widgets on a spiritual assembly line. We are not here. We are not here. To get people to sort of squeeze them through. The baptism waters and let them go their way. We're here to see them transformed by the gospel of Christ. And raised to live in newness of life. To have renewed relationships. To begin living out eternal life now. So we don't want to minister to people as parts. We want to minister to people as persons. And where the rubber really meets the road on that is when you consider the people who are far from God that are different than you. They think differently, they look differently, they smell differently, they speak, maybe they speak a different language than you. And everything about your human nature. 
or maybe not everything, but a huge piece of your human nature is that we want to distinguish ourselves from other people. We want the distinctions. We want the divisions. We want to say, this is us and that's them. And you could, you could fill in the blank of how that looks like. This is us in church and those are those pagans out there. Heathens, whatever they are. Backsliders, carnal people, whatever you want, whatever language you put on that. Maybe it's us Americans and those other peoples. Maybe it's us Republicans and those Democrats or us Democrats and those Republicans. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to kick the hornet's nest. It's okay. This is this in the church's history. This this is shown up in, in pure blatant racism. It's us white people and those black people. And you need to know that all of that stuff, all of that stuff, stuff is bubbles up from the bottom of hell, flows through sinful natures and pours out into this world. Because the gospel of Jesus says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, free nor slave, male nor female. We're all equal. There's, as, as a somewhat great man once said, there's equal footing at the foot of the cross. We minister to people, not parts. When my grandfather, I'll end this story. My grandfather was a pastor, pastor, pastor. Um, and he went to be with the Lord in 2016. And he served at multiple churches, but one of them was the Baptist Church of Buford. And he was there during the days of integration. And you can imagine the stories he had to tell in Buford, South Carolina. Um, But once my grandmother began a ministry to migrant workers, you know, mainly Hispanic, Latin people that would come and they would work the farms and things around Buford. And they had uh, people coming to faith. From these migrant workers. This is early on. And the, the church, for whatever reason, they, 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 they liked the ministry. Because it was out there and you saw people coming to faith in Jesus. But then they brought all of these people. I want to say it was like, two, I, I can't remember the story exactly. My mom would know. It was like 200 people that they were ready to baptize. And the church is like, They bristled and got so upset. And so they marched them down to the water, you know, Buford's water, water, water everywhere. Uh, And they baptized them. I don't know if that's in the bay or in the river or whatever it is in sound. Last week, I read second Corinthians chapter five, verse 16, that we do not regard people according to the flesh. You do not have the liberty to determine who is worthy to hear the gospel and who is not. You do not have the liberty to determine who ought to be a member of the church and who should not. The only prerequisite for being a member of the church is that you have made a legitimate profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then we'll baptize you and you're in. 
you agree to covenant with us and live with us and do the thing. We minister to persons. So whether they're, you know, purple, green, black, brown, they're from Portland, Oregon, or they're from a Yankee from New York State or New York City. It's like that Pace Salsa commercial. New York City. Wherever you're from, wherever you look like, whatever your background, Jesus is the Savior of the world. And He is for you. We minister to persons. And so wherever you are today, whatever your background, whatever your junk, Jesus died to rescue you. He he died and then rose again from the dead so that everyone who puts faith in Christ, who trusts Jesus, will not perish. That begins now with a new life that is born in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. When you call out to Christ in faith, you become new. There's a change of heart. There's a change of mind. There's a repentance from sin and a clinging to Christ in faith. There's a new birth. And that new birth and the gift of the Holy Spirit is but the beginning of what God has in store for you. And that fire that begins as a small spark will one day blossom in glory when you are fully, fully who God called you and made you to be. That's a journey, but I would invite you to take that step today. To call out to Christ in faith. The promise of God, we just talked about, sang about, uh, live on the promises of God. Here's a promise of God for you. If you're wrestling, can God save me? The promise of the Scriptures, the Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess Him with your lips, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise. There's no prerequisite before that. So come. Come take that step and be born anew. Take that step and follow Jesus. Cling to Christ. And be made new today. And being ever renewed day by day, you will finally step into Jesus' presence. Fully glorified. Into all that you were meant to be. But it begins now. With a small step. Huge step, costly step, a priceless step. Cast all of your faith upon Jesus. If you need somebody to pray with you, to talk with you about that, I would love to do that. I or Sage will be up here in a minute or, or whoever. Call me, email me, come talk to me now, talk to me later. But we're here. We want to see you make that step. Christian, Blaney, Baptist, I marvel, this is not the squishy part, I'll get squishy. I marvel that God, I still walk by the little sign that says pastor, and I'm like, really? Eight years, I'm working on year nine right now. May we be a people that forsakes inertia, that becomes the missionary people that God made us, calls us to be. To move from staying to going, move from silence to speaking, to move from serving parts to ministering to whole people to see all of life under the rule and the reign of Jesus. Let's pray. God of glory, we thank you for your mercy and we thank you that we can come with all of our brokenness and we know that our brokenness is, a, is affected by our sin and our rebellion where we have chosen a way that is not of you. 
And all of us could give testimony of ways that we have done that and we've experienced the pain of this life as a result. Sometimes we've experienced pain in this life and we can't see that's a result of our own sin, but we know we live in a fallen world. And all of the brokenness that's around us, all of the difficulty and despair, despondency and depression rises from spiritual darkness. But we thank you, O Lord, that the light of the world, Jesus himself, came into our darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Lord, I pray for your church. I'm so thankful for what you have done, are doing, and will do in and through Blaney Baptist Church. Would you make us a church that as we leave here, we will be going with the love of Christ beating in our hearts and the gospel of Jesus ready on the tip of our tongue. And Father, I lift up those who might right now be considering whether or not they know you, whether or not they've trusted in you. And for some, it is abundantly clear that they have never surrendered their life to you. They've never bent the knee and said, Jesus is Lord. They've never said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen. I know that I've rebelled against you, but I believe that Jesus died to rescue me. Would you come into my life and save me? Would you give them grace, O God, to call out in faith today? For you are mighty to save. And all of their brokenness and baggage, it does not exclude them. Lord, you said that you came for those who are sick, for those who are needy. And so, Holy Spirit, come into those hearts now and cause new life to be born as they call out in Christ, to Christ in faith. Lord, would you accomplish your will amongst us individually, through us individually, but also corporately as well? Would you shift us and move us that we might become the people of God here and now that you would have us to be? We pray this in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.